European Union has not treated us well. Stupid European elites jumping off the cliffs once again. Yes, you are the guilty people and you refuse to accept it. This is EU Scream, the progressive politics podcast from Brussels, in association with EU Observer. I'm James, a journalist who's crisscrossed Europe for 15 years now. In this episode, women in Romania have the legal right to an abortion, but many women seeking such care quickly find themselves in a Kafkaesque trap. Doctors who refuse abortions are supposedly bound by their professional code of ethics to refer a patient to another physician or facility. But all too often, most of the other doctors at state hospitals are just as unwilling to provide the service. And some doctors are outright obstructive and even obnoxious, as we'll hear in our interview with a young Romanian, Bianca, later this episode. The result? A right granted to Romanian women 29 years ago is hard to access. Bianca, for example, ended up obtaining abortion pills without a prescription, and she then took them without medical supervision. The situation is not unique to Romania. In Croatia and Italy, women also face similar obstacles. In a world where Europeans are increasingly looked to for leadership in civil rights and gender equality, one question is, how can this still be happening? Counseling a number of pro-choice organizations on the matter is White & Case, an eminent international law firm with a phalanx of attorneys in Brussels. White & Case's advice underscores the limited reach of the European Union in this area. The main problem is that maternal health care and abortion are not explicitly referenced in the European treaties. Member states still have the final word when it comes to abortion rights, the firm's Irina Trichkovska told EU Scream. That, she said, sadly causes significant disparities in the treatment of women across the EU. Now, the EU has a nuclear option to suspend a scofflaw member state's voting rights. Brussels says it's ready to use that option to force Poland to respect the independence of its judiciary and to force Hungary to respect migration and asylum laws. But Brussels is highly unlikely ever to go nuclear on abortion rights. After all, Malta's sweeping ban on abortion was allowed as part of its accession to the EU just 15 years ago, and that ban remains in place. We start this second episode on abortion wars in Europe with Lina Vadovi in the Romanian capital Bucharest. Vadovi is a Moldovan-born investigative journalist who has been covering the region for publications including EU Observer. I first asked her to describe a pro-life march she attended earlier this year. I went to a a pro-life march in Bucharest in March this year. Uh, This time it was from the center of Bucharest to one of the parks. They have all sorts of guests, politicians, influencers, journalists, singers and so on. Mothers who decided to keep their babies and who talk about this experience. And then 
all of these talks are followed by a concert. The organizers claim it was the biggest March for Life because it took place on the same day in 600 towns in Romania and Moldova. But I'm not sure this is accurate. What I could see, because I've been following these kind of events, these marches for life for a couple of years, was that the actual number of participants went down. And I think that's due to the um, referendum that we had last year on the definition of marriage in the Constitution, which was a blow. And they wanted to change the Constitution to prevent any future moves to legalize same-sex marriage. Exactly. And so that failed, and that then took the wind a little bit out of the pro-life traditionalist family movement? Yes. They went into shadows a bit, but the grassroots activities and movement never ended, actually. And you had the opportunity to speak to a former member of the European Parliament and leader of the Romanian delegation for the Socialists and Democrats. Absolutely. So a highly positioned politician, not some local mayor from some remote village of Romania. Just tell me a little bit about what Catalin Ivan had to say about a woman's right to choose. Catalin Ivan was on the stage on that day with his wife and his three girls. And he talked generally in good terms about how women in crisis pregnancy uh, should be supported generally by politicians, by the state, by the whole society. But when we when he got off the scene, he started by telling me that we need to look at the status of women in society. So he said something like this. Women must choose between career and family, and this is not right. We all say that women are equal to men. They are not. We can have whatever career we want, Women can't. They must choose between children and a profession. This is where the state needs to get involved and rethink the status of women in the modern society. Why do you think he felt comfortable taking that harsher tone with you? I think that when he addressed people from the stage, He he was a politician, right? He was compassionate. The language that he used was really nice and politically correct. But afterwards, when I started to interview him, I think that he felt more confident showing his real opinions and his uh, real thoughts. Also, I'm not sure if this played a role, even though he knew because it was visible already, I was pregnant. This actually helped me to get a lot of interviews in the pro-life movement because the minute they saw me pregnant, they thought that I was kind of on on their side, you know, and I would be, I don't know, against abortions myself. I'm not sure, but it clearly changed from the moment he was on the stage to the moment he was giving the interview to me. These aren't your views that, that somebody like Kathleen Ivan is expressing. I mean, do, how easy is it to keep your journalistic distance at that point as a woman who's made some decisions about her own balance between having children and having a career? 
when he said that women are not equal to men was a big shock for me. At the beginning, I thought I didn't hear well. I, I, was, I, I was about to say something like, what? Can you repeat that, please? But then I managed to, of course, keep quiet and let him talk. That was the best thing I did and I could do at the moment. And it's not the first time when, you know, as a female journalist, you see this kind of, you feel or you even uh, witness this kind of attitude. So I managed to just stay calm. Another segment of society in the part of the world that you're in that is very male and very influential, the priests. They also have a particular appearance, which I don't know if that is intimidating. They're wearing these clothes to promote the Romanian Orthodox Church, and it's a basically a canonical obligation, in, and it's stipulated in the laws of the Romanian Orthodox Church. They are obliged to wear them all the time, both when in service and out of church. These are these these are these very sort of dark and bulky canonical vestments. And let's not forget the beard as well. These kind of, oftentimes there'll be sort of this wild and unfettered beard. But they wear it, all of them, they wear it with, with pride and dignity because it shows, it's, it's a sign that they are part of the church, that they have this supposedly ethical and moral uh, standards which are, you know, above the rest of us, that they have all these values that are special and assigned only to them. And so one of these very prominent priests made some remarks the other day. And what's the name of this person, by the way? Vasile Raduca is his name. The dean of the um, Faculty of Theology from Bucharest is also a professor. He said it during an interview for a TV show, you know, where the, the journalist who interviewed him, as far as I could understand, was his one of his students. And that's why he never stopped him, never interrupted him to say, you know, things like, hey, maybe this is a bit too much. What he said was the cases when a rape ends in a pregnancy are rare. And if it happened, it was either because the woman consented to it or perhaps she actually enjoyed it. And that's why she got pregnant. And also he says something like uh, if she was smart enough uh, after a rape, she could have washed herself, you know, so that the uh, spermatozoon doesn't reach the ovule, he says. I mean, this is misinformation. This is fake news. And th- th- I'm being generous. <laughs> yes, yes. Like this thing with washing herself that can prevent the, the pregnancy is, is outrageous. And then he said, killing the baby after the rape, meaning abortion after a rape, is not acceptable by church. Or that using condoms in intimate relationships is like masturbation and it's not healthy for a woman in fact the woman needs the sperm from a man sorry that i'm using this these terms but this is exactly what he said on tv it's extraordinary to think it's 2019 and we're inside the european union let's move on to the doctors many of these doctors seem to have a sort of lack of empathy, perhaps due to the idea that they have a certain status within society that entitles them to not have their opinions questioned. 
yes, if they don't think that abortion is a right thing to do, abortion at request at least, they refuse it and nobody can force them to change their minds even though the managers of the hospitals should be able to do that because the Romanian health law says clearly that any state hospital must provide the medical services that it is equipped to provide, right? They get public money state money for that so they should if they have the infrastructure and if they have the doctors to do it then they must do it and in some hospitals in the country you have a huge number of doctors refusing to perform abortions but then at least one who says okay i'll do it maybe you need more than one doctor because then what happens when he goes away for a holiday for instance but at least in those places, you can say that they are respecting the law. While in 61 public hospitals in Romania, they don't. And they brag about it. And when I confronted the Ministry of Health about this, they put the blame on the Romanian Medical Association. Anyway, then I called the president of the Romanian uh, Medical Association, Gheorghe Borcian, and he revealed himself as being anti-abortion as well. Did he say anything about what he instructs other members of the association to do? He said that if anyone would ask him what kind of measures would he take against or to punish doctors who refuse to perform abortions, he would just congratulate them. And he claimed that women who asked for this procedure are basically not patients. They don't need a treatment, uh, a medical service, so they're just clients. So they can be refused. And when I said, when I asked him, okay, what are the alternatives for a woman, let's say, in a small town north of Romania, where all the doctors from the the only state hospital that they have in the area uh, refuse to perform abortions, what should she do? Because this is technically a medical service that she should be provided with. She has the legal right to access it. He said, well, she can go to a private clinic. But when I said, okay, but you know it costs like four or five times more expensive to get an abortion in a private clinic than at a state hospital, he said, well, maybe that will discourage her to to do the abortion. So tell me how you found Bianca. I have a colleague, her name is Liana Fermeshanu, and we both started posting messages online. And at one point, Bianca just popped out. And she was the only one eager to talk about this. What at that point did you think her motivation was? Bianca was shocked, first of all, by the way uh, things turned out for her. Uh, When she discovered that she was pregnant, she was in South Korea. Uh, She was on a short exchange program and she was uh, supposed to go back to Germany afterwards where she was an Erasmus student and then get back to Romania. So finding out that she was pregnant in in a country like uh, South Korea where it was illegal, they changed the law meanwhile, made her completely freak out. So she came back to Romania And she took her mom, and right away from the airport, they drove to the biggest regional uh, maternity hospital. But she was really traumatized about this whole experience. So 
her first message back to us was, I really want to talk about this. This is a problem. Doctors should never put religion or their moral convictions or values above uh, their medical, their professional approach. And I think the fact that she was a medical student also made her kind of more willing to talk about this. Bianca, thank you so much for doing this, and I'm sorry about what you've had to be going through. It could have been worse, I guess. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe you want to tell me what happened. To be honest, I've always thought that abortions are very accessible in Romania until I personally had to have one, and I was completely shocked. So I didn't really pay a lot of attention before what happened in March. You go to South Korea for part of a medical exchange, and you find out you're pregnant in South Korea, and that's the first place where you seek to have a termination. I haven't even tried to do that. I just Googled, and I saw that it's illegal. You can receive like a $2,000 fine, or you can go for one year in prison. So at that point, you're at what week, do you think? I was in my fifth week. And I tried to find a plane ticket in such a way that it's not very expensive because, yeah, being a Romanian middle class person doesn't really afford you to travel from South Korea back to Europe whenever you want, you feel like doing it. <laughs> so I tried to find a ticket which is kind of affordable and that would give me enough time to make sure that I have the abortion before going back to Germany because right After the Korea exchange, I was supposed to come back directly to Germany and start having practical exams, which were really, really hard for me because German is my second foreign language. And you start a day with the other doctors and you even do extra time if the doctors ask you. And that's exactly what happened when I came back after the abortion. It was very, very hard for me. So you do successfully find a ticket. Uh, back to Romania, because I first googled what's the abortion procedure in Germany. I thought of doing that. But in Germany, all women that want to terminate their pregnancy need to have a psychological counseling. But when I saw that I need three days between the counseling and the abortion itself, and I didn't know anybody so on, you, you can imagine, like, I'm, this has never happened to me before. I was in a really, really bad mental state so i just thought that oh gosh i just want to go back to my hometown where my mother is and where i know people and doctors and yeah everything will be fine you get back okay you're in your seventh week at this point you go to the local hospital? Yeah, so a friend of ours talked to a nurse there who knew the doctor, so I could go with a referral uh, during the evening shift because my plane landed at 1 p.m., and the doctors in Romanian hospitals are only there until 2 p.m. So I wanted to go in the same day. It was on a Monday, and then the next Monday I was supposed to be in Germany and have exams. 
there can be cases where when the where the pregnancy is not in the uterus it's ectopic and yeah that's usually a surgical emergency and you have to be operated so just having a simple pregnancy test on the toilet by yourself is not enough when i was waiting for the doctor to finish seeing another patient the nurse and she was she's like a family friend of my mother's she sat next to me and she was like oh just one more thing are you sure you don't want to keep the pregnancy and I looked at her and I was like, no, definitely not. I mean, it's really not among my plans right now or in the near future. She said, are you sure you don't want to keep this pregnancy? And I was like, no, definitely not. I want to become a doctor and a surgeon. And then she just turned away and she was and she looked to the ground and she was like, okay. I could like feel her voice shaking a little bit like she was on the point of crying. Why do you think she had such strong emotions about your decision? Well, I would guess that it's because of religion reasons. Many people in my country are very, very, very religious. They just blindly believe whatever the priests tell them. If the priests even tell them sometimes to vote for a certain political party, they do it. So eventually you do get a an audience, you do get to see the doctor. Yes. Doctors in Romania are not actually um, known for their friendliness. They all believe they're gods. She had a, a typical doctor attitude. I tried to be humble. She's like, okay, so what's up with you? And I'm like, hello, I'm Bianca, I'm, I'm 24 year, years old. And the second I said I'm a medical student, she was like, oh, future colleague wow and, and she suddenly started smiling which is quite an unordinary thing to see in <laughs> Romanian doctors <laughs> I was like okay so I am pregnant okay so what do you want from me okay so I would like you to maybe give me the pregnancy diagnosis like to make an echography to make sure that it's a normal pregnant pregnancy also, I would like to have an abortion. She was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, let's take it to the echograph. She, she started getting, I, I could see in her attitude that she started getting quite angry and um, irritable, like she, she could barely sit in her uh, chair, you know? And she was like, yeah, it's a very healthy pregnancy. like." very healthy pregnancy, like, stupid idea to have an abortion, girl. I don't know if I hoped it to be an unhealthy pregnancy or not. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just knew if I wanted it to be over. At that point, I could barely speak. I looked at her for a couple of moments in silence, and I was like, okay, so... Could I get like an abortion here? No, no, no way. Okay. Do, could you tell me where I could get an abortion? Uh, you know, sweetheart, we're like uh, three or four weeks before the Orthodox Easter. I'm not sure. We're in the Easter fasting. So I don't think you'll find anyone to help you with this. And I'm like... Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of urgent. I'm in my seventh week. I just wanted to take the pill, eliminate the, the, the pregnancy, and 
that would be it. And then she said, uh, maybe try to go to a non-Orthodox doctor, maybe an Arab guy, an, an Arab doctor. But hey, y- you study medicine, you know how Arabs are. So, first of all, there's the religious blockage. Second of all, it's Easter. And third of all, we get some racism. On top of that, my mom was like going mad because she had a very nasty abortion once. I I, I don't know how she's still alive during the communist times. So she's been through it. She was totally by my side. And she steps in and she says, uh, okay, doctor, if that's not possible, could you please give us the prescription for abortion pills? And the doctor was like, abortion pills? Do you really think that uh, those pills work? Uh, those pills don't work. You have no idea how many you have to take. And um, by the way, you can take those pills only until the 49th day and you're in your 51st day. I looked at her and I was like, okay, but why is it then legally legal in Germany to take them until the 64th day? And she was like, oh, it's not a, a matter of being legal. It's a matter of actually working. And after the 49th day, they, they don't work, which is complete bullshit. Pardon my language. The studies clearly state that they work until the 10th week. They, they work very well until the 8th week. Then uh, they start working less and less and less until the 10th week. And then in the 11th week, it's already, it doesn't make any sense at all to try to take them. The doctor essentially said, medically, what you're asking for is impossible. But the doctor didn't formally invoke a conscience clause. She did say this right before we left the room. My mom kept insisting, like, please. And she, the doctor was like, no, I'm sorry, it's just before Easter time. No, not just before, because this Easter fasting takes place like 40 days before Easter. So that's way more than a month. And there's another Christmas fasting, which takes 40 days. That means that almost three months per per year, women are not allowed to have abortions at all. No way, because it's fasting time. And this was the main hospital that's supposed to serve six million people. I mean, this just sounds like an excuse, right? I, I actually don't know I, how much these people believe in these things and how important these, this fasting was for her. But I'm always extremely surprised to see doctors that are so incredibly religious and that they let religion, their religious beliefs affect the way they work. I I don't think that's ethical. So your assumption here is, look, you're not going to find a doctor who will provide abortion during this period because everyone has to be even more religious during this period. Exactly. Okay. So my mom tells her, please, we there is a way we can get these pills even without your prescription just please let us know like verbally how she should take them because protocols are different and we're not sure Uh, at which point the doctor said "Uh, you know what she's a medical student she can read herself the reason I'm still a medical student and not a doctor (laughs) is the experience and way more knowledge that that 
she's supposed to have accumulated because she was like the same age as my mom. She she said at the end, like, uh, I have a daughter the same age as you, and but I'm really, really sorry. It's uh, before Easter. I cannot do it. So we were like, okay, have a good evening. And we just got out. So where did you turn to next? The clock is ticking. Exactly. Well, I, I was very lucky that we've had this connection to a pharmacist. He's, <laughs> ironically, he was, he is an Arab pharmacist. <laughs> and he used these pills for his wife as well once. And he totally helped us. He told me how to take them. The way he told me to take them was different from the protocols I found on the internet. But still, I did it his way and it worked in the end. My only problem is, it's a very stupid thing, is that I didn't think about doing any antibiotic prophylaxis. The doctor at the hospital never mentioned anything about antibiotics. When I googled which are the protocols in uh, taking the abortive pills, I didn't just Google like on WebMD or Mayo Clinic that normal people go to. I went to like where all the studies, all the meta studies uh, in all the medical fields are uploaded. It's so ironical that nothing about antibiotics was written there. (laughs) And it's just too bad that your pharmacist, he probably forgot, I guess. He forgot and even my mom forgot. So I arrived back in Germany on Sunday that week. And by Tuesday, I already had an infection. Like, it was noticeable. It was very noticeable. And the second I told my mom, she was like, oh, no, I, to- I forgot to tell you to take antibiotics. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, everybody just forgot. So were you doing your exams while you were suffering from this infection? Yes. So I was doing like my medical practice. And during the medical practice, I would have to excuse myself to go have an exam, come back to the hospital. It so happened that the first two weeks after I came back to Germany, I had like the worst tutors ever on that department. You got back and you find that the nice tutors aren't there, but the hard asses have taken their place. That was not really the thing I was prepared for. But both of the exams went uh, okay. So I had uh, pediatrics exams. I, I, I passed, not with the worst mark, but not with a very good mark either. And I had the exam for gastroenterology. And I was lucky because you can imagine I couldn't get myself together to study well enough. It seems like you got through your exams despite the ordeal. That means that you can continue to look forward to your medical career. What kind of ambitions do you have for that? I've been thinking about becoming a neurosurgeon since I was a second year medical student. And here in Germany is by far the best experience I've ever had. Neurosurgery as a specialty. That's what I'm dreaming of. I would love to do my training as a resident doctor in Germany on neurosurgery. But first I need to go back to Romania, study for my last year, and then I'll start applying the places. There are not a lot of places on neurosurgery. You you said earlier that a lot of the doctors in Romania behave as if they're gods. 
Do you think that's going to change, or can you be part of that change? There are still lots of problems in Romania. Uh, not all of them behave like that, of course. There are good examples. Those examples are usually the doctors that have done a, a couple of years of their training abroad. Those doctors usually, when they come back, you, you can see, by the way, they uh, treat the patients, you can see a huge difference. That's EU Scream for this week. You can check our website at euscream.com for links to topics discussed in the show and for more episodes. Please rate us on iTunes, tweet about us at EU Screams, and like us on Facebook. EU Scream is edited and mixed by me, James Cantor. Tom Brooks and I produce the show. Laura Natali plays our piano. Thanks for listening.